Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of The Bip Show is brought to you by Brookside Energy. Brookside Energy, one of the most exciting oil and gas companies listed on the ASX, is about to capitalize on record high oil and gas prices. With an existing solid production base and the first of over 20 planned new wells nearing production, Brookside Energy is about to join the ranks of top-tier Australian oil and gas producers. Brookside Energy, working with local communities to ensure sustainable growth and value creation through the safe and efficient development of energy assets. And now, on with the show. How are you now? You're listening to The BIP Show. BIP is for business, investing and policy. And that's what we're here to talk about. Don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. I am not Paul Colgan. I'm James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. Paul Colgan is on the line, but will uh, is just doing the production work today. Paul, if you want to say day, say day now. Otherwise, just sit quietly in the background. Oh, but, g'day, g'day uh, James. How are you? <laughs> How are you now, Paul? Oh, I'm pretty good. <laughs> All right. So... Anytime you want to chip in, mate, just feel free to do so. Otherwise, um, mate, uh, I've got the I've got the controls, uh, and you just uh, look quietly out the window if I need you. I'll let you know. Okay. You got it. Okay, mate. Um, now today, it's all about black gold, Texas tea, uh, oil. Where is it? Uh, how much longer do we need to get it out of the ground? How much is it costing us to do? And how much are we? How much do we need to make to sell the stuff? So. One of the good things about having a sponsor, it means that we actually get to keep doing what we're doing. But one of the great things about having a sponsor like Brookside Energy uh, is uh, is that it means that uh, that we can uh, we can actually have a subject matter expert on and tell us about what's going on in the oil. So this special edition, um, which is presented by Brookside, means that we get to have. A guest today, an actual real oil guy, um, which is good. So the, the, the legitimacy that we get uh, from uh, from this is sensational. Our guest today, uh, David Prentice, a senior resources executive, 25 plus years domestic and international experience, started working in commercial and business development roles within resources sector. During the last 12 years, David has gained international oil and gas exploration and production sector experience. Uh, working in both executive and non-executive director roles with Australian publicly traded companies. David is the managing director of Brookside Energy Limited, chairman of Noronex Limited and chairman and CEO of Black Mesa Production LLC and non-executive director of Comet Resources Limited. David, thank you for joining us today. How are you now? G'day, James. Yeah, nice to be be here and, uh, yeah, big shout-out to... Uh, all of my friends and colleagues um, there in New South Wales that are uh, obviously doing it pretty tough with uh, with the lockdowns at the moment. So uh, my our thoughts over here in the west are with you guys. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's awfully good of you, David. Thank you so much for that. And uh, I could tell you that one of the big misses every year that I have planned to go to diggers and dealers uh, over in Kalgoorlie, or at least at least get over to Perth and have a bit of a catch up with people that I want. Something always gets in the way and managed to get in the way again this year. Uh, how was the week that was for uh, for diggers on the, on a on a cut down sort of area around over in the WA region? 
Yeah, look, I think they had a pretty good, um, you know, a decent number of delegates, despite the fact that no one from the Eastern Seaboard could make it. I, I think um, uh, the uh, certainly the atmosphere was um, was you know was buoyant, and uh, and you know we took the we took the opportunity to have a little bit of a sidebar um, lunch uh, event where there was sort of six or seven companies presenting, and uh, we. Uh, we got a bunch of people to come along to that, and uh, it was a chance for us to tell our story. And um, I'm pleased to say I'm back safely in Perth now, and um, and my liver is intact. <laughs> that's that's the, the, the tough the tough role of being uh, being the boss of a company that's pretty popular, and, and everyone wants to talk to you when everything's going well, and, and it does seem like things are going well. We'll get we'll get into the drill down later, but let's talk uh, let's talk a bit of shop uh, to start off with. The, recently, the Financial Times had uh, their a pretty big commodities forum, and I've got a section that, that, that came out of the Commodities Forum with regards to oil and where they see the price of crude or, or Brent going. And so we've got Jeff uh, Jeff Curry from Goldman Sachs. Was, it was a, a huge proponent of oil's rally last decade. Uh, this is a quote, has argued that commodities are looking at a new super cycle as government stimulus measures boost demand. So this is about a month or two ago. He believes oil demand will rise because policymakers will use spending on huge green infrastructure projects as stimulus measures aimed at tackling inequality. We argue that every $2 trillion of green capex spend is worth about 200,000 barrels per day of oil demand. Um, David, let's let's talk about where you sort of see the price of oil and what you see as, as driving it. Um, so it's, I'm just sort of going to open it up to you as being one of the guys who's on the coal face or the oil face, I suppose you want to call it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Where do where do you see where do you see the drivers for uh, for the oil price and where do you actually see the price going short and midterm? Yeah. So look, I think the narrative there is sort of around you know decades of of underinvestment and people probably don't you know don't appreciate that we've had a long you know several decades of um, underinvestment in these large scale you know discoveries. So. It, it's it's becoming more and more difficult for the non-OPEC um, producers to replace the reserves that they that they produce every year, um, and up until really I guess the end of 2014, that was largely being masked by the the, the fabulous run-up in production um, from the shale patch in the lower 48. So you know you saw this massive investment, um, arguably. Uh, you know, there was a lot of capital went into the ground that perhaps shouldn't have, and so you saw this massive, massive investment in the shales and and uh, and production rose as a result of that, and that sort of masked this uh, underinvestment in these large scale, long lead time projects that that the world actually needs. Um, and what's the, you know the net effect of that is really two things. One is that the that the tier one acreage in the US got essentially got high graded quite quickly and you know it's become becoming more and more difficult to find those tier one areas um, that, that that produce the kind of uh, the kind of returns that, that investors are looking for um, and and it, and really it, it's probably resulted in OPEC essentially becoming the swing producer so they're the guys who who are looking for um, you know, I guess uh, achieving that Goldilocks pricing. So the question is, is you know, in the short term, what price do they need? What price are they looking for? And what's their ability to to um, expand their production to meet that growing demand that you touched on? Um, you know, the other thing is that, that certainly the capital in the US that was driving that um, that boom in the shales, you know, up until the end of 2014 was really a, a, was really looking, you know, at growth as the key driver rather than, um, you know, return on investment. And that's 
you know, done a complete flip. And so you're seeing a lot more uh, capital discipline now coming out of the, out of the US operators that have survived the downturn, and people are looking to you know. You know, funnily enough, uh, resources businesses are, are you know whether whether it's hard rock or oil and gas, you know, often get um, you know, I guess uh, get drawn into this concept of growth at all costs, and the market goes through various stages where growth gets rewarded ahead of the actual fundamentals of the business. So I think in in certainly in the oil patch at the moment, we're we're going through a, a, a phase where capital discipline and returns to shareholders are, are at the forefront and that's going to mean that the production growth out of the US is going to be muted and and therefore we're going to see prices uh, uh, stabilise around these levels I think and then potentially move a lot higher when when it becomes clear that there's going to be a gap between um, between supply and demand. Yeah and, and I think that what we've seen as well so if we take what happened to Exxon and Chevron towards the end of May it was you know, just with the with the shareholder defeats that they had. Uh, so was it engine? Remember the engine number one, that small hedge fund that um, that put a couple of board a, a board seats on for Exxon and and is sort of trying as hard as they well not trying as hard as they can but definitely sort of trying to steer it in the direction of of being more I'm, I'm going to say greener and so they've got this bigger focus on their carbon catch cap, carbon capture. Yep. Um, so that was Exxon, and then Chevron has has, has had some defeats on the, some of the bits and pieces that they've done, and, and a bit, doing a big push into carbon capture as well. Well, yep. I, I, I am seeing from from the investor side of things as well that the companies, the big companies that you'd want to be drilling and 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 going and finding more oil and, and getting as much out of the ground, they they're now not really allowed to have that as being their big focus. I think I'm, I'm just pretty much just repackaging what you've said there. So it's it's they're. Drilling for oil isn't the biggest focus now for companies that drill for oil. This is going to sound ridiculous. And <laughs> so so with the idea that, okay, we, we want you to spend that money on us and actually pay it back to investors means that, that you've got some pretty big cash cows in the oil companies. And, and if you want to make some, some pretty chunky yield, then um, the big oil players are, are, are most probably the way to get it for now. And also yes. with a bit of an ESG spin. Yep. Um yeah, which, I, which I'm pretty keen on. Where are we going to now after that? So, so look, OPEC, how much do you think that OPEC, I mean, with with the negotiations that happened with the UAE um, wanting to be able to, to, to have a bigger baseline with potentially the Iranian deal, do, do, do you think that OPEC, what, what what do you see the direction of them being for, to push the oil price? What, what do you actually think that their, their end game is or where do you think that they want it to be? Do the Saudis want $100 oil? No, no, I don't think they do. Um, but but I think um, you know that that certainly in the short term they've probably got some catching up to do in terms of uh, you know strengthening their their national balance sheet. <laughs> you know they um, so the, so the notion that um, that that they would be happy for the prices to be higher for longer, um, you know, is is probably you know is probably fair. Um, you know, keep, keeping in mind that you know high, high, you know, sort of oil prices, with, you know, in the in the hundreds are not really good for anybody. You know, for the for the for the global economy or or you know anybody really. I mean, you start to you start to impact on on demand and inflation and all sorts of all sorts of uh, things start to unravel. So I think you know you know certainly from our point of view, and I guess I always go back to. The pretty selfish kind of view on you know what's good for Brookside and and you know 75 to 85 is um, you know we, we, we you know keeping in mind that you know the the, the metrics for the Swiss acreage is um, you know sort of 80 80 odd percent rate of return 
and at sixty dollars and 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 three dollar gas, and we're currently sitting at about seventy dollars and four four dollars gas. So, so you know, this is all all kind of cream for us around the around these levels, and and uh, and I think probably probably the same can be said for for OPEC to be honest. Yeah, that uh, that's good enough there. So now let's uh, let's drill down into actual Oklahoma and into actual territory. So walk us through the Anadarko Basin. Uh, it's been a thing since about the twenties, I think. That's here. Um, and what's the interesting area with uh, with with that? What's the what's the what's the big take on that one? Yeah, so I think you've got the um, you know the coming together of all the key ingredients in in the Anadarko Basin. You know. Um, that really set it apart from uh, you know from you know other basins in the US and uh, and and certainly you know other other basins around the world and you know the the, the, the key things that I always focus on obviously the rock has to be good you know you know we we need to have the, the reservoir qualities there that, that that drive these good these these high rates of return and you, you know when you look at that. You convince yourself that you have those reservoir properties. You need data, and and you know because the Anadarko Basin has been the subject of so much exploration and, and development over over a hundred years. We've got reams and reams and reams and reams of data that tells us about the rock quality. So we sort of know where to start looking, and we know we know what the rock's going to, what the properties are, and what the reservoir is capable of delivering. So that's obviously a big tick. Which then en- enables us to sort of effectively use that data to prospect up and down the basin margin, looking for these kind of core of the core sweet spots where where you're going to get you know the where the wells are going to outperform. So that's we've spent a lot of time doing that. What came with all of that development over those uh, you know over the, that sort of long period of time was a bunch of infrastructure. So there's enormous amount of takeaway capacity in the basin. There's lots of pipelines, lots of refining capacity, and so it's a really a great place for. Um, you know what what we would describe as sort of um, boutique oil and gas businesses looking for you know f- to, to generate sort of you know great returns out of these sweet spots. You've got all that takeaway capacity, so you measure your time from from drilling the well to first production in in you know weeks and months rather than years if you're developing something in Alaska or off the coast of Mauritania or something. So so fantastic infrastructure. And then probably the last thing, which is not to be not to be overlooked, is the is a is the workforce. You know, you've got this fantastic workforce in Oklahoma. You know, probably every family in Oklahoma, whether they're whether they're farmers or whether they live in this in in the large regional towns or in the cities, every family would have somebody somewhere in their family uh, that works in the oil patch and 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 has done you know, for multi generations. And so. The, the I guess the smarts that come from that and the ingenuity and the and the ability to adapt uh, is sort of world class and and so you you combine that with the with with the with the fantastic equipment that they that they that they operate and you start to see why these um why these areas are so successful and why they outperform uh, their their peers around the world. Yeah. Okay. So. Now I, I do the same thing. If we had we had uh, Martin Wetton on, I'm going to ask you about the actual operations of how the actual bond market works. We had Tolga on last week, and, and I actually asked you about physically how he picks the things that he picks. And now we've got the guy who's right down. You mentioned I'm going to ask you about the details and actually and actually what these things look like. What, what are you looking for in the rocks? You, you mentioned the rock samples and everything. Because I, I mean, myself as an investor, 
I see it on the outside and I look at the fundamentals and, I, and, and there's bits and pieces, but going drilling right down into the actual samples and what there is is not something that I've, I've, I've really had to do for a long time. Do you want to just run us through what, what physically you're looking for in this, in this area and, and what, what makes your eyes light up? Yeah, sure. So, so if you think about, um, you, it would be handy if we whack a little map up now. But if you think about the basin um, margin, you know, two hundred and fifty odd miles of of a sort of a basin margin that runs from uh, essentially the north west of Oklahoma. Uh, down just south of Oklahoma City, then all the way down to the Texas border in in, in the south uh, south and east, and as you progress sort of further to the uh, from up up off that that shelf, if you like, towards Oklahoma City, um, the 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 two primary targets that we're chasing, which is the Sycamore Lime and the and the Woodford Shale, um, start to get shallower. Um, and in those in those areas, you, you're in what's called the black oil window, and you know that's a good place to be um, if you want to, you know, if you if you're looking at just producing oil. But the problem with that is that you tend those areas tend to be um, what's called under pressured, so 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 you need to pump those wells with some sort of artificial lift, and you you don't have a lot of um, energy in the reservoir. So you're producing oil, but you've got to have some sort of artificial lift to get the to get the oil out. As you go deeper. In, in, down, sort of uh, moving away t- towards the uh, towards the west, you start to get in into what we call the gas condensate or, or oil gas condensate window. So now you're a little bit deeper. The reservoir is either normally pressured or slightly overpressured, and and you're using that those gas molecules uh, to help lift the oil um, to the surface. And in and and in the really best parts of uh, of the basin margin, and particularly where we are in uh, Southern Scoop. That gas uh, comes with some uh, with some natural gas liquids as well, which which you know the, the price of natural gas liquids has been on the tear recently as well. So so you've got the double benefit of having three production streams, and you're you know without sort of getting too much into the science of it, you you can imagine once you open up the formation to this to uh, to the atmosphere, those gas molecules want to want to want the pressure wants to normalise effectively. So those gas mo- molecules expl- expand, and and that there's your lift, um, if you like, for driving the oil and 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 the hydrocarbons out of the reservoir. So okay. that's the, that's the sweet spot. If you keep going further to the to the west, um, you get into the deep gas, and that's dry gas, so no natural gas liquids. So you get fantastic wells, wells that are. That, that are comparable um, in terms of their flow rates with some of the best wells in in the Perth Basin, as an example. But it's dry gas, so you you're stuck with you know the pricing, um, you know that you, you you don't get the benefit of those extra revenue streams. Okay, okay. So I'm now looking at let's actually look at what you what you've got here. So I'm looking at the jewel well, and just a note to anyone, I'm going to put the I think it's yeah it is it's publicly available information, the presentation that that that's just been released. Yep. Uh, has got some details on the jewel well, so I'm going to put that on the website. Anyone who's anyone who wants to know more about it, um, I'm just looking at the jewel. So, so, do you want to run us through the jewel jewel well um, operation that's there and how far along that's that's come and uh, based on what you, what it was you just went through? Yeah, sure. So, so I guess you know that in terms of the 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 acreage itself that uh, that we've acquired in that in that southern scoop swish area, you know that we we used all of that. All of that, those prospecting techniques to essentially, you know, identify what we felt like were the absolute sweet spots within the sweet spot, if you like. So the core of the core, um, and in the in the case of the jewel uh, location, we had a lot of um, good 
uh, data from vertical wells that were drilled in the area. So we could already measure the uh, the size of the container, if you like. We already knew how much oil and gas was was uh, located in in uh, the, the both the Sycamore and the Woodford. We could measure that and and quantify it. And then, so re- effectively, what we're then doing is really using modern horizontal drilling and completion techniques to to more efficiently get that oil and gas out of the out of the out of the rock. So. You know, over the last uh, uh, several weeks, we've uh, we've gone ahead and drilled that horizontal well. Um, you know, we obviously got lots of uh, you know almost weekly updates to the market as we've as we've sort of successfully got that part of the operations underway. Um, so drilled the well, um, as you would expect, we saw you know fantastic shows of oil and gas uh, on drilling. So you know, as we as we were bringing the um, the, the 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 rock uh, chips uh, in the drilling mud back to surface, we saw you know oil and gas in the samples we saw you know plenty of all the things you'd expect to see if you're drilling an oil and gas well um you know we saw some gas kicks we saw oil in the oil in the cutting so all those things very very positive um and then we met once once the wells then drilled and the lateral portions drilled out across the across that uh, across the location um the next probably most difficult part of the operations is to run in the production casing and cement that in place and we successfully um, completed that part of the job uh, and then in the last couple of weeks we've been uh, doing what we call pre-completion operations so that's setting the setting the wellhead and the christmas tree ready for the completion guys to come in uh we had to build Sorry, out the, Chris- all of the christmas tree the christmas tree yes um and uh and we're now um you know, again, you know, touching on that point that I made earlier about the fact that we we have all this abundant infrastructure. So, you know, we go ahead and put the production facilities on the surface location. So we put in the, the tanks, we put in the set the separators, we run a line into a sales line. So all this stuff is is quite different to what what a, a typical EMP company would do if they were drilling in some remote location and they were exploring rather than exploiting because they wouldn't build all that equipment because they would really be testing the well to see whether it was capable of of producing commercial quantities of oil and gas so we don't do that we know it's going to produce commercial quantities of oil and gas and so so we put in we, we put in all the production infrastructure we tap into the sales gas line and uh, and now uh, you know we're, we're set to, to do the final part of the process which is uh, complete the well for production. Oh, outstanding. Now, that's okay. So that's underway, which is great. Now, recently, so we're recording this on the 5th of August, 2021 at Brookside Energy. And I'll, usually here is where I would read the ad for Brookside Energy. I'm just going to skip that today because we are talking about the, the, the company pretty extensively. But the uh, you've just done a capital raise. And so the stock is technically in a, in a hold at the moment. And we, we will be back out of a hold tomorrow which should yep. be means that people who are listening to this means that the stock is out of a hold. So the do, do you want to run us through the capital raise? What's it? How much is it? What's it for? What's it at? And uh, and what's it going to be used for? Because uh, for me, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, no, absolutely super, super exciting for us. I mean, I guess, you know, the, we, we, uh, we, on the back of the success of the drilling of the dual well and uh, and and I guess uh, you know w- w- what's generally happening in that southern scoop area you know w- we've got a bit of a tiger by the tail here and you know this is really just the beginning you know from from Brookside's point of view uh, and some of some of the of your listeners um, will have will have seen last uh, in the last week or so we announced that we we'd managed to pick up some additional acreage in Swish uh, adjacent to our ranges um, our ranges DSU 
And so, um, you know, this capital raising is really about, um, you know, maintaining and increasing our operational momentum um, and, and being able to take advantage of uh, take advantage of the service company windows, uh, you know, secure secure the rigs and, and and line all of those service companies up, ready so that we can move straight from the, uh, the from the jewel onto the ranges. So that's really the you know what what, what the fun, fundamentally what the capital raising was all about. Um, the response to the um, the response to the capital raising was overwhelming. I mean, we was very very positive. Um, you know, we closed the book you know very very quickly. Um, with with uh, you know multiples of of, uh, of the maximum that we were looking to raise with multiples of that of that covered um, and and pleasingly from you know a mix of existing shareholders and some new um, you know new sort of larger larger shareholders so really 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 pleased we, we you know looks like looks like we're going to raise um, you know the, the the maximum which was not nine million under that uh, under that under that capital raising we'll, we'll comfortably cover that off and um, and you know, it will put that money to work. And you know, I guess larger working interests, you know, in the in the wells that we're drilling, you know, going forward, um, including the range as well, which is the ne- next cab off the rank. And you know, larger working interests tra- and and faster momentum. So in other words, you know, doing things quicker, you know, tra- translates into um, more cash flow and more cash flow more rapidly. So um, you know, very exciting for us, and we're we're absolutely delighted to have been able to get this raising done so quickly and with such a great response. Yeah, it was it was done quite quickly. I barely had a chance to look at it before it was uh, it was snatched away from me. So I did. The and, and obviously, I mean, full disclosure, I do hold the stock uh, as well. So it's um, otherwise, I wouldn't really be talking to you just quietly. But uh, I do. I do. <laughs> the, the um. So do you want to run, run us through ranges? So if if Jewel has X, then how much do you think or know that ranges has got under the ground there? Yeah. So look, the ranges. Um. Uh. You know. I guess. Uh, the reserve potential and the uh, and the production outcomes and all of those are very very similar to the. To, to the jewel, um, you know, the, the, if you think about this in, in a geographic context, you know, I think the, the, the ranger's location is about three and a half miles south and uh, and west of the jewel location, and it's in an area where it's you know again surrounded by uh, some of our our um, our neighbours, you know, continental resources, um, you know, uh, citizen. Um, and, you know, Marathon. Some of these, some of these large um, publicly traded EMP companies have all got wells very, very close to where the ranges is that are that are doing particularly well. In fact, some of the best wells in the uh, in the in the whole in this whole part of the play uh, have been drilled in that area between the Jewel and the, and the ranges. So, um, super excited about that. We, you know, we where the next steps on ranges are to um, obviously sign the. Um, Sign the master services agreement with Latshaw, so the, the drilling company that we were so de- delighted with their performance on the jewel that, that we we want to we want to continue to use those, and that was a big driver of the timing of this capital raise was just to make sure that we could lock them in before they went off and started drilling uh, for for one of our um, you know one of our our, our neighbours I guess, and then you know we lose that drilling window and 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 lose a bit of momentum, so we're going to be able to. Uh, Sign that master services agreement with them now, and 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 lock that away. Um, you know, then we'll start building the pad um, and get ready to to just continue on uh, with our development program. So very exciting, and um, you know, we'll we'll move straight back into uh, into drilling mode here in the next couple of weeks. 
Okay, brilliant. And so then that goes on to sort of the next, the next question of what's the mid and long term focus for Brookside. So if we're talking, you know, a couple of years from now, what's the what's the play on that one? So look, I think we, we you know really really try and stay true to this um, to this uh, three pillar model that we've uh, developed, which is really kind of you know I, I guess has been inspired by what the private equity guys have done so successfully over there in the US for for many many years, and that is. You know, always being able to have that mix of development drilling going on, um, you know, good solid cash flow base, but all, always be alive to opportunities to to you know monetize your acreage position if that if there is an opportunity to do that, or pick acreage up if there's an opportunity to do that. So so we'll be doing all of those things. I mean, we'll follow we'll follow the ranges uh, the ranges well in terms of actual operations on the ground. We'll follow the ranges well with the flames well, which is the the next DSU in our development program. Um, and then once that those three have been drilled, that that effectively um, holds the, the our acreage position by production, which is sort of a technical term for meaning meaning it moves from being leasehold to being you know in production um, and held in perpetuity. Um, and then once that happens, you know strong cash flow base, and then we've got a sort of a twenty well five year development program that we can look to 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 uh, unfold, and we can choose to. Um, you know, do all of that. We can do, choose to do part of that. We can bring a partner in. We can, you know, choose to, to monetize some acreage. We can choose to expand our acreage position. So all these things become possibilities for us in 2022 and beyond. Okay, well, that's that's a pretty good overview. We've covered the raise. We've talked about what's happening with ranges. We've talked long term with with what's happening with Brookside. I'm I'm pretty positive on that one. We've also talked about what's happened. Uh, with OPEC and the oil price in general and where the future is for that one, we've also talked about how physically we uh, that this oil and gas gets out of the ground. So if there's anything else you'd like to cover... So I do have a question for you, David. Uh, what is a Christmas tree? Yeah. Uh, so it's an assembly of uh, valves, eff- effectively, that enable you to, um, to pump the completion fluid into the well when you're doing the actual completion operations. So, um, you know, it, it essentially... Uh, it enables you to control the flow of fluid in and out of the well bore with a series of valves, um, so that if you you know if you need to if you need to stop fluid coming out of the well bore for any reason, so in, the, in, a, in a situation where you might you might be concerned about a blowout, then then you're able to to do that. Um, but you can you know you can also uh, you can also pump fluid in there at a, at a very high rate to uh, to 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 get this uh, completion away. So it's. Um, it's a really interesting bit of kit. I, I assume it looks like a Christmas tree, right? Uh, it does. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's <laughs> it's a, it's a and and uh, uh, you know pretty pretty large bit of kit that sits on top of the on top of the wellhead. So, um, the, just one last thing. You were talking about the deposits, right? So you've got oil, um, uh, LNG, and then um, uh, gaseous gas, right? So gaseous gas. Um, yep. So just describe the cavity to me. So t- in a typical deposit um what proportion of it you know how big do they tend to be what proportion of it will be oil uh and then uh, mixes of gases yeah so so the, the, the in terms of um of the revenue stream um just because of pricing differential between the three things you know that you know it's obviously heavily skewed in terms of revenue heavily skewed to, towards oil in terms of volumes it's about it's about a third a third a third in terms of the actual volumes um, and uh, is that where you were sort of headed with that question? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And in terms of the the actual um, the actual sort of uh, quantities that, um, that that we're going to recover from this well, you know, we're talking sort of in excess of you know one and a half million barrels of oil equivalent. A third of which will be oil, and and uh, a, bit, a bit more than a third will be oil, and um, and then the, then a third will be nat- natural gas, and the balance will be will be will be dry gas. Yeah, and and what, what kind of pressure is the gas under? Uh, that's probably above my pay grade. Um, <laughs> <laughs> details, to, details. Cons- yeah, yeah. <laughs> consult with uh, consult with John Schumer, but. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, is, is suffice to say that um, you know these the, the, these these wells. Uh, you know, we saw gas we saw gas kicks um, during the uh, during the drilling process. So the gas is under pressure, and uh, and that's you know a key part of why we choose these these the, these bits of acreage because you know um, as you, as you can imagine, you know it's a bit like when you um, open the open your bottle of um, of, uh, of uh, tonic for your gin and tonic, you know, you see, you watch those bubbles making their way to, towards the uh, to the opening and getting bigger as they come towards the surface, and that's the same. The same process is happening with the with these wells. Yeah, right. Got it. Um, well, that's fantastic, um, James. Do you want to wrap it up? I will do so. Thank you for that, Paul. Uh, Brookside Energy, one of the most exciting sustainable growth oil and gas companies listed on the ASX for investors wanting exposure to rising oil and gas prices. Stock code BRK. That's the uh, that's the official ad. David, thank you so much for joining us and thank you so much for the sponsorship as well. Um, a, a, a great partnership. Absolutely delighted to be with you guys and enjoyed it immensely. Thanks very much. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Rate us and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, just to note that this is a general advice only. Um, the information and advice contained within may not be suitable for you. And uh, I'm also, full disclosure, that I, I do hold Brookside and my clients do as well. You can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show. And we're on Twitter. It's at the underscore Bip underscore show. And we're on Facebook too. Just search The Bip Show. I've got a website. Uh, Wheel and Capital, which has got a, a link to uh, the BIP show. We've got a little section in there, which is great. So get in there and have a look. I'm going to put the presentation onto the website so you can follow along while you're listening to it, to what to what it was we were talking about it, and learn a little bit about how these things actually work. And uh, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to educate, entertain, and I think that we managed to uh, to, to definitely educate some uh, uh, some more on exactly how, how these things get out of the ground, which is so important to the way that the world keeps on moving around. Um, have a look for Wheel and Capital, follow the links to the BIP show. Individually on Twitter, at Colgo, at James Whelan 42 um, And uh, Ken Vexler couldn't join us today. He's he's on the uh, on the Twitter as well, if he lets you see what he's up to. Don't forget to hit subscribe and rate the show. We love those five-star ratings. Please keep them coming. That's been fantastic so far. This show is produced by Rick Salter, and we will catch you next time. Thank you for listening. <laughs>